Amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. As you can see, we are in a, a season of Advent. Advent is just Latin for coming or arrival. It's the time of year where we set aside a season, not just a day, but a season to remember that before Christ was on the cross, Christ came as a babe. Christ came as a child. And so it's a season of, of anticipation, of expectation. We're looking forward um, to celebrating the day of Jesus' birth, but it's also a reminder that we're not only waiting on that, but we're waiting on Jesus to come again the second time and the time that we're all longing for, the time that we were singing about this morning. So um, it's, just, it's just a great time to set aside. The thing I like about celebrating Advent as a season and not just Christmas Day only is I think it helps us focus more on the reason uh, for why we're celebrating and the reason that we have uh, all those things. So it just kind of helps for me personally, it helps bring it all together and make it more of a special time instead of just a special day. So that's all it is. So we'll light a, a candle each week. We'll, we'll have readings each week to remind us of those things and to celebrate those things. And, and, uh, and then we'll culminate all of that at our Christmas Eve service on Christmas Eve at 6 p.m. So looking forward to this season as we celebrate together. Going to try to have as many people together and, and involved in the readings and in the things that we're doing to participation in the service as much as possible. So looking forward to that. So our theme this year uh, for Advent as we go through this series as we're talking together is Jesus, the name above all names. So all things we'll be talking about are uh, names of Jesus, the, 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 the things that, that make up who he is, the names of our Savior all, and all different ways that that can possibly shake out. Uh, today, specifically, we're looking at Jesus, a name for every need. And we'll be in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, a few other places, but that'll be our main verse for today. So, Jesus, a name for every need. That's what we'll look at today and see how Isaiah explained that for us. Excuse me, as you're turning to Isaiah, getting your place there, just remember that um, Isaiah was written, first written, the first parts of Isaiah are written in 740 B.C., which, if you're not quick at math, is a long time ago. And it was a long time ago, even in Jesus' time. Uh, and he's obviously, uh, Isaiah is, is writing, uh, it's over a span of years, but he's writing during a time, a difficult time in Israel's history. Um, at the beginning of the book, it's, it's, it's the last year of the reign of King Uzziah, which will be 740 B.C. This is before Israel, the northern or the southern kingdom have been taken over, but it's definitely the, the birth pains of those things coming are definitely present. Assyria is becoming strong. Uh, they're becoming the, 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 the power in the region, the power in the world for that matter. And it's just a matter of time if Israel doesn't repent until Assyria, Assyria takes them over. And, and those are kind of the background. That's, that's, that's the, the things that are taking place. There's, there's, Israel's in a bad way during this time. You know, we're about 300 years after David after Solomon, after the golden age of, quote-unquote, of Israel. And, I mean, they're, they're pagan worshipers. Um, they're, 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 uh, they worship multiple deities. They have idols. They're idol worshipers. Like, they, they are far, far from where God wanted them to be in a very short amount of time, as far as that goes. And so that's kind of the background of, 
of, of what's taking place when Isaiah is writing all these things. It's, it's a time of expectation. It's a this time of suffering. It's a time of oppression. It's a time of, it's a difficult time. It's a time of very bad, ungodly kings. Uh, and, 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 and the, the idea and the, and the truth and the revelation of the idea of the Messiah coming really, really comes to life during this time. It's been there, but during this time, it's like, okay, this guy's got to be coming soon. This Messiah guy that's going to fix this, Lord, let him come soon. And there's a lot of messianic prophecies in Israel, in Isaiah, excuse me, uh, that 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 foretell of a king that's going to come soon for Israel, but more importantly, a king that's going to come and and settle all things for good. Uh, Isaiah lived until about 681. Uh, BC, so a lot of the, the book covers a lot of time, but it covers things that happen after Isaiah's death because it is a prophetic book. So uh, it's a really neat book. A lot, a lot of Isaiah is is quoted in the New Testament because there's so much messianic prophecy, prophecy about Jesus, the Messiah, to come. And where we're picking it up today in chapter nine is is right smack dab in the middle of messianic prophecy. There's major things being said about this person to come. And they, they didn't really understand what that meant at the time, but they just knew somebody was coming and it was going to get better. And they were waiting uh, for that. They were anxious, anxiously anticipating that to come. So join with me here after I pray in Isaiah 9, 6, if you hadn't got there yet. God, I, I thank you and I love you. And I pray, Lord, that as we read your word and speak your word and declare your word this morning, God, that you would do what only you can do, God. That you would open hearts. You would change hearts. You would change lives, God. You would change eternity for someone listening today or here today, whatever the case may be, God. We, we ask for that today, God. We pray that today would be the day of salvation for those that don't know you. We pray that today would be a day of celebration for those that do, God, for what you've done and what you're going to do, God. May, may you speak in me and to me and through me, God. May I decrease, Lord, and you increase. Your word be proclaimed and you be worshiped and you alone, God. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. So Isaiah 9, 6 says, For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. So it's kind of strange to me right off the bat that this longing for this great king is coming and this conquering Savior and this, this whatever, all the things that they had in their mind of who this was going to be. And Isaiah starts with, and a child will be born for us. A child will be born for us. It, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have been picturing that if I were them. I would have been picturing us, someone that was already alive, already an adult, already big, strong, warrior, king. That's who it's going to be. I wouldn't have been picturing a child to come. But that's what he says. He says there that a child will be born for us, a son given to us. Right off the bat, in this prophecy about this Messiah to come, the, the humanity and the deity of Jesus is declared from the get-go. A child will be born to us. It's a human being. This, this Messiah is going to be a person, but a son will be given to us. The, 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 the deity, the, the pre-existent son of God is declared from the get-go, this pre-existent son, this, this eternal God, and he will be given as a gift. There it is again. It's all over Scripture. Salvation is a gift of God. It's not of 
man's works so that no one can boast. He's going to be given as a gift, not earned. Now Israel, or really Judah at this point, which is the southern part of, of Israel, uh, they're suffering, and they're, and they're waiting for this, this messianic delivery. They're wanting this messianic delivery, and, and Isaiah prophesies that this delivery is to come, but it's to come in the delivery of a baby, as a child, as a gift. And then he says that the government will be on his shoulders. The government will be on his shoulders. Now, we, I say we, sometimes I put words in your mouth. I hear government, and I think government, right? It's hard to differentiate those two things nowadays because government is so prevalent and such, a, such a, an existing institution now. We, I think Washington, D.C., I think president, I think laws, I think all of those things. And, and it's not that those things aren't really part of this, but it's, it's not really, they wouldn't have looked at it that way because that type of government didn't exist. The government will be on his shoulders. What, what are we talking about? This, this child is going to have the government on his shoulders? What, what is he going to do? He's going to rule is, what he's, is all it means. He's going to rule. He's going to reign. Uh, and, and this time for the government to be on your shoulders would mean that you would be a king, obviously. We're talking about a monarchy, a, a king, a king of kings, so to speak. They didn't know how and they didn't know when, but this delivery from the ruler, the Messiah, was certain. That, that's the point you need to get there. That they, they knew that they were going to be delivered and there was going to be a rule and a reign of this Messiah, the son of David, this king to come. He was going to reestablish how good it was, right? Isn't that, what we do? <laughs> Isn't that what we do when things get bad? Man, how good it used to be. Boy, back in my day, <laughs> we say that sometimes, don't we? Sometimes it's true. Sometimes we're missing what's right in front of us that's so good. Worrying about what was. That's what they wanted. They wanted Israel to be reestablished as the Israel of old. God had bigger and much better plans than just to reestablish Jerusalem and Israel uh, as, as, a, as a nation, so to speak, a, a worldly nation. But this idea of the government being on the Messiah's shoulders, this isn't only an, a thing in Isaiah. It's, 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 it's all over Scripture. It's all over the Old Testament prophets. In Micah 5.2, it says this, Bethlehem Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah, one will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. Where was Jesus born? One more time, where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. Out of Bethlehem, Bethlehem Ephrathah. Out of Bethlehem, this person is going to come, Micah says. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Don't, don't mistake the important, don't, don't miss the importance of that. God, God takes, and I'll catch this, Bethlehem Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah. Okay, so there's 12 tribes, right? Judah is a, is a tribe of Israel, descended from Judah, one of the sons. And, and Bethlehem is, is a very small sect, a very small part, a very small piece of Judah, a very insignificant piece, a very not powerful piece. It, it's cool to me how God takes the the humanly insignificant, and does what only he can do. Does what only he can do. He takes what seems like nothing to man and does everything so that he is the one that gets the glory. Uh, and this is the, the, the Bethlehem out of the, the clans of Judah. One of the names of Jesus is what? The Lion of the tribe of Judah. Because for centuries and centuries it was 
prophesied that this Messiah would be a descendant of the tribe of Judah, which David is a descendant of, which Jesus is clearly shown in Scripture to be a descendant of. What, a, what an awesome faith we get to declare with our lives. It says that the line of the tribe, tribe of Judah from ancient times, this idea of the pre-existing Son of God, this eternal God, it's, it's there, it's always there. Same thing in Zechariah. Zechariah 49. So this was for Israel and Micah, but in Zechariah, on the day the Lord will become king over the whole earth, the Lord alone and his name alone. On that day, the Lord will become king over the whole earth. The Messiah ruler from the beginning was for Israel, but was also for the nations. At that point, you should say amen, at least in your heart, because if that weren't true, then you or I had no, we have no hope whatsoever. Thank God that God's plan was to include everyone and the plan of salvation from the get-go. From the, get the plan from the start was to reach the nations through Israel, not only to save Israel. Amen. Thank you, Lord. And then we get to the crux of today, right? We get to the crux of today. He will be named. This child that's going to be the ruler of all, he will be named. Now, when we say he will be named, what do we mean? When, you, when you're talking about names, it's not like we think of names most of the time. Some people do this. Some people think about what they're naming their child. They don't just name something that sounds cool or whatever. It's, it has a meaning behind it, right? <laughs> Interestingly enough, Charles and I were talking about this this morning, right before the service. Sometimes names have a distinct meaning. Lots of times it's just carrying on family traditions or whatever. But a name in its highest use, it sums up who the person is, right? That's usually what nicknames do now. Usually your nicknames have something to do with who you are and, and the type of person that you are. It's the character, who you are. And when you say something like, in the name of, especially in biblical times, to say, in the name of, that means I'm coming to you and at you with the same power and the same authority, with the very essence of who it is I'm coming to you in the name of. When we say we, we end our prayers in the name of Jesus, I'm saying that it's in the power and in the authority of Jesus. It's not just a way to tag the end of your prayer so that you know that it's time to open your eyes or say amen or whatever else. In the name, the name of someone matters, especially in biblical times. Now, didn't really give you much buildup or anything to what we're going through, but here's what I want you to consider as we finish out tonight, today. Consider this as we look at these names that describe the character, the essence, who God is, who, what makes up Jesus. What do you have in your life that you need God for? What do you have in your life that you need God for? What, what is going on in your life? What are the problems that you have? What are the, the things that you're going through? What, what, what are the, those emotions that you're dealing with? Are you in a time of grief? Are you in a time uh, of of indecision where you're trying to decide things where are you at in your life where, you know those those things that just instinctively make us go right we just look up like we just what is that in your life whatever that is as we look at the character of God and these names of God let's let's see if God can handle whatever those things are but for Israel when Isaiah is writing this they definitely had an idea of what they needed God for. Okay, Before we get into these names, let's look back at a few verses right before it to describe what's going on and what, and what is this Messiah person going 
to do, right? Why was the, the name of this person such a big deal to the people of Israel? Why would that matter? If you look back just at the beginning of the chapter, verse 1, nevertheless, nevertheless what I've already described, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, in the future, there it is, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. It, Isaiah is the only one that uses that term, Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. Verse 3, you have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. Verse 4, for you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of, of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloody garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. Now, some of you didn't hear any of that. You're like, what? He says, nevertheless, he's described how bad things are for Israel and how blatantly sinful they're living their lives. That's really the whole theme of, 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 of Isaiah. Israel, you are terribly sinful. You need to repent and turn to God because God is holy and everything removed from sin. That's the whole theme through the whole thing. And then he says, as bad as it is, nevertheless, here's how good it's going to be. That's what those five verses say. Suffering is over. Oppression will be over. Things of war, verse, verse 5, the things of war will be burned in the fire. They're not going to be necessary anymore in the Messiah's kingdom, in the Messiah's kingdom to come. Nations will be blessed. A, gr a great victory is coming, like the one of Gideon over the Midianites is the, the reference there. Like you did on the day of, when Gideon had 300 soldiers, and then God just did something crazy, and the Midianites were wiped out, and they didn't even have to lift their sword hardly. A great victory is coming. War is going to be over. Suffering is going to be over. The oppression is going to be over. These nations closing in around us, it's going to be over. Right? So the person that's going to do that, their name matters. You see, you see where, what Isaiah is saying here? Here's what's going to happen. Now, here's the quality of the person, the qualities, the character of the person that's going to be able to do those things. The, he, gives you the, he gives you the what in the first five verses of chapter 9, and then he gives you the who. In verse 6, he says, but, but check this out real quick. Nerd out on you just one second. Nerds, come with me. Let's go. All right. So he, he, he says this in Isaiah, right? Matthew 4, verses 12 through 17. When he heard that John, that's Jesus. This is jumping forward to the New Testament now. Jesus is alive. When he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. He left Nazareth, Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum by the sea in the region of Zebulun, and Naphtali, this was to fill with the prophet, what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. It says there in verse 15, Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, along the road by the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who live in darkness have seen a great light. And for those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Verse 17, I can't click my clicker today, I'm sorry. It's really messing me up. There it is. Verse 17. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent, because the kingdom of heaven came near. Okay? What am I saying? That's really cool. 700 years earlier, 
Isaiah has said that the Messiah is going to do this. And then 700 years later, a little bit more than 700 years, Jesus clearly fulfills this prophecy that, that Isaiah had said would be fulfilled in the Messiah. God, and, and the cool thing is, God uses the very first verse of that section, God uses the arrest of Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, to make it happen. What an amazing God. God's word is truly amazing. It's truly amazing. Did you know it's linked? Like, 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 like the internet, like the way information is linked in the internet, you know, the Bible was, was done like that already. It was like the first hyperlinked document. It was like the, the old school, real <laughs> Wikipedia, right? Here's an, here's an image to, to describe that. So if, if the bottom is the books of the Bible, the white sticking down, right, the verses, and the, and the lines going back and forth are the cross-references of Scripture, 63,779 times Scripture talks about Scripture, back and forth, about itself. You really ought to open that book every once in a while. It's really worth your time. It really, really is. I mean, how cool is that? Isaiah prophesies that. Jesus does it. God uses the arrest of his cousin to force him to go out to this place to be a blessing to these places that God said the Messiah was going to be a blessing. So, again, come back. If you're not a nerd, you can come back now. Okay, back to the names. This guy has to be able to do all that. To end war, to end suffering, to end oppression. To, to bring in this, this reign, this peace, this, this, this thing that they're all looking forward to. And it says he will be named. And the first name given there is Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. Counselor as in, in the intent of the word, in the, in the definition of the word, like a military strategist. Not counselor like, oh, you know, how are you doing? Counselor like someone that can make a plan, which is really what a counselor does, by the way. I'm not disparaging counselors. A good counselor, a good therapist, that's all they do. They help you make a plan, how to move forward with whatever it is you're going through. That's for free. You didn't have to pay for that today. <laughs> so counselor, right? He's a counselor, military strategist. In other words, he's wise. Another word you could use there for wonderful would be exceptional. It's it's It's... It's a very strong word in the original language. Wonderful counselor. He's a counselor. He can make a plan. He can make a plan for victory in battle. There's a, there's a definite military undertone to this, right? Almost like, a, almost like a great general, right, that can devise the plan to win the battle. And they definitely had enemies at that time, and you and I definitely have enemies, most of which are within, that we are fighting to this day. We need a wonderful counselor. And this word for wonderful here, it's used 80 times, about 80 times in the Old Testament. And Pele is the, is the, is the Hebrew word, and it's got a several derivatives. All those derivatives, almost all those derivatives, all talk about God and His wisdom, right? And, and the, the wonderfulness of His wisdom. It's the closest word to supernatural that Hebrew would have. Hebrew doesn't have a word for supernatural like we do in English, but it's the closest word that you could come to. In other words, it's this, this counselor is beyond human ability. Clear in the language that that's what it is saying. He's a great military strategy, strategist. He's a mighty counselor. But making a plan and having a great plan is cool. But it's only as cool as how well you can carry out that plan. He's not just wonderful counselor. He's also mighty God. Not only the plan, church, but the power to execute the plan. Great plan, plan better than you can come up with, 
plan better than I can come up with, but also the power to execute that plan. Now, some modern-day people try to make this word out to be like God-like. That's not what the Hebrew is saying. It's not God-like. It's not superhero. It's not like it's not like hero-like. It's not like human being that's got great powers. It is specifically God, this Messiah to come. He is divine. He is human. He is divine. He is human. He is divine. He is fully man. He is fully God. You can study on that for the rest of your life. <laughs> that, that's I mean you'll it never stops the wonders of being fully God and fully human. But he is not God-like. He is God. He's mighty God. He can execute this plan. And then he is also eternal father. Eternal father, which if you grew up in a Baptist church or any other Trinitarian believing denomination, it kind of makes you go to the, tr the Trinity right off the bat. And that's not what this is talking about. It's not, it's not a Trinitarian reference. It's not a, it's not a reference to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's not what it's saying. It's, it's really just an idiom. Okay, not an idiot, an idiom, right? A saying that carries meaning. So father is, is like originator or source, right? The originator, the source. It's not, it's not Trinitarian here. He, he's, he's never ending. In other words, you want something eternal. You want something lasting. You want something that lasts forever. You got to come to Jesus for that. He's eternal father. It's not, it's not describing his relationship to the Trinity. It's describing his relationship to time. He's outside of it. He's bigger than it. He doesn't move. It doesn't move in a linear progression for God. It's just now. It's, it's eternal. And anything you need that you ultimately want and need is eternal. And he's the source of it. He's the originator of it. Obviously, it carries a, 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 an idea of benevolence that goes with that, too. He's, he's, he's eternal father. He's always there. He's always with us. And then the last word there that he gives, the last name, is prince of peace. When you talk about a prince, you're talking about an administrator, an overseer. Someone has authority and the right to, right? If a prince does something, it's because they are the prince. They have the right to do that. They have the authority to do that. He is the prince of peace. He has, the, he has the authority and the right to dole out peace. Why? Because he's God. And he proves it with his life. And what is peace? It's a word we use a lot. We'll sing about it a lot. We sing about it today. This is a great season of reminding us of that word, peace. What do we mean when we say peace? When you feel peace, what do you mean by that? Is peace the absence of fear? No. If you can live in the absence of fear, please let me know how you do that. Because I don't know how that happens. Peace is the presence of God. That's what peace is. Peace is the presence of God. It's, it's a word that describes real fulfillment, well-being, harmony, being right with eternal Father, with the source of all things, with the originator of everything. The Prince of Peace. He has the right and authority to dole out this peace, and this peace is His presence, and it's all we need. Do you know that, church? What are you searching for? What is it that you're looking for? The only thing we need is the presence of God. And I fail to remember that, 
and you fail to remember that, and we get caught up in a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't matter at all whatsoever in the grand scheme of eternity, all we need is the presence of God. And one day, in the presence of God, for those that have placed their faith in Him, that have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, the forgiver of sins, the one who gave His life up for you and for me to have peace with God, to be reconciled to God, one day, in the presence of God, we'll finally understand that the presence of God is really all, all that we need. He's the great sustainer of all things. So, what are we saying? Four names. He's wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. How can, another way to say that, he's all wise. He's all powerful. He's all lasting and present. And he has all authority. He has the right to do whatever he wants to do. What does that look like? Well, the cool thing is, Isaiah gives us one verse. One more verse. Can you go with me one more verse? Isaiah 9. This is what it looks like for that person to be in charge. The, the dominion of this Prince of Peace will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. How? The zeal of the Lord of armies, the Lord of hosts, will accomplish this. Amen. Prophesied 700 years before it happens. The zeal, the want to, the got to, the going to, the zeal of the Lord of armies, the top general ever, will accomplish this vast dominion where prosperity will never end. Real prosperity, not the junk that's preached nowadays. Not health and wealth and all that junk, that stuff that's going to last this long. Real prosperity. Real, the presence of God, real peace, real fulfillment, real harmony, heaven, in other words. And it's going to, be, it's going to sustain it with justice and righteousness. Now, what am I saying? Here, real quick, this is what I'm saying, side note, side note. That's what we're to be doing now, church. When we say bring heaven to earth, that's what we're supposed to do until Jesus comes back and establishes his kingdom, his millennial reign. That's going to be a good one. Until he does that, we're supposed to be doing that now. Justice and righteousness. Justice is not a dirty word. It doesn't need anything before it. It doesn't need anything after it. Justice is a good thing. We should be seeking to dole out in the name of Jesus justice and righteousness. Not humanly speaking, God's way. Jesus' way. How's that? Go read Matthew chapter 5 and 6. He tells us what his justice, his kingdom looks like. It's very opposite from what your nature will tell you it should look like. A whole lot of forgiveness and a whole lot of swallowing stuff and a whole lot of doing good. There's not near as many throwing fists and talking bad about each other as we might think it might be. It's sometimes what we think of with justice. At least it is with me, if I'm honest. That's what it looks like, though. This, this king... This God, this Jesus, this, this, this all-powerful, all-wise, all-lasting, all-present, all-authority-having God is going to establish a kingdom that we can barely describe with human language. We struggle to describe it. The Old Testament prophets describe it. John describes it in Revelation. 
And I think it still falls very, very, very short of what it's actually going to be like. Human language can't even, can't even get there to that supernatural understanding, that supernatural knowledge of what it's going to be like. But I'm looking forward to that day. And all those that have placed their faith in Jesus said today would be a, we should would be reminded of that and this, we should celebrate that. We should be looking forward to that day when the kingdom of God is established. First for a millennial reign here on this earth and then forever. And then forever and ever and ever. Bring it on. So I finished with this one question. I told you to think about it. We're done. What do you have in your life that the all-wise, all-powerful, all-lasting and present, and all-authority-having God, Jesus, can't meet? What need could you possibly have in your life that the name of a God like that can't meet? And I'm here to tell you, there ain't one. There ain't one. There's not a need that this God, Jesus, can't meet. And the one he met that we needed the most, which is what all this is talking about in Isaiah, is the need for salvation, real salvation, not earthly salvation like Israel wanted. They wanted earthly salvation, a kingdom and a king on earth. He gives everlasting, eternal salvation. The eternal father gives eternal salvation. That's the need you need more than anything. If you're here this morning and you've, and you've, you've submitted to that truth, if you're here this morning and you've submitted to that truth, then your need has been met and you should be celebrating that this morning. But if you're here this morning and no matter what other earthly need you have that Jesus can meet, there's no need you have more than the need to be reconciled to your eternal Father. Peace made with God. And God's Word is very clear about that. Jesus is the only way to the eternal Father. He is the only Savior. He's the only plan that God had. Think about it. The wonderful counselor didn't need a plan B. He had one plan, and it was Jesus. And he came as a babe first. A child will be given to us, but he was the son of God. He existed before it, and he's still existing now. He is alive. He is alive to give you eternal life forevermore if you will repent of your sins and place your faith in him. He will give that, the gift of the Holy Spirit and the gift of eternal life. What a great God. What an awesome God. These four names are awesome. We could keep going. Name upon name upon name. And we'll never run out of names to describe this God. I'm going to pray for us. And if today needs to be the day of salvation for you, then uh, let's deal with that. If you need to place your faith in Jesus, you want to express that to the church, great. Um, join the church, great. Just need to pray, great. Just want to sing this last song. In worship, in spirit and truth, great. But let's finish up this time together in a way that honors God. Whatever he's calling you to do, be faithful to do that. Jesus, we come to you today and we thank you, God. We thank you that you are the eternal Father, the all-loving, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-wisdom-having, always-present, always-everlasting, all-wise, all-authority-having God. We thank you for that today, God. May we celebrate that today and every day. And Lord, while we're here, as followers of people that bear your name, carry your banner, say we're in the name of Jesus as we go about our lives. God, may we be establishing your kingdom through your spirit now. 
so that your name is proclaimed now, so that we can prepare our hearts for what is to come. God, may we be seeking to establish justice and righteousness on earth now so that those that don't know you will come to know you, God. And if someone's here today and doesn't know you, may today be the day of salvation, God. May they be made right with you today, not because they do anything special, because they accept the gift that was given. Isaiah said, a child will be born to us, a gift will be given, the gift of salvation, God, the blood shed on the cross for the forgiveness of sins so we can be eternally reconciled to you. Lord, if there's someone here today that needs to place their faith in that, may today be the day that they do that wonderful, wonderful thing. We 